Welcome to another edition of the Sunday Scary Stock Talk podcast. Before we get into our macro minute and our breakdown of a stock, I'd like to remind everybody that both Brendan and Dan are not financial advisors, and everything we do say here is our opinion and strictly our opinion and should not be taken as financial advice. Um, so yeah, you shouldn't listen to us. We're two hungover guys speaking about stocks and the macro environment on a Sunday after a night of or a weekend full of drinking. So like I said, not financial advice, strictly for entertainment purposes only. And uh, I hope you enjoy the show. Now let's get into it. We are uh, live on our end. We're recording this, though. We're recording this, everyone, on Saturday, February 26th, 2022. We usually do these on Sundays, but uh, the big guy over here, Brandon, has a half marathon tomorrow. What an absolute idiot for signing up for half marathon i know he's not in shape i ran like 25 minutes with him when he was in town and he barely made it through uh this is the sunday scaries stock talk we're coming to you today uh talk about a little bit about my macro and then we're gonna get into bit farms i think this will probably be maybe our second to last uh bitcoin mining talks i think we're gonna cover the the valkyrie etf next week but yeah i'm excited brandon how you doing man I'm good, man. Yeah, uh, like you said, I got the half marathon tomorrow, and I am not really looking forward to it at all. I don't know how I got coerced into doing it. Um, I was going to the gym lifting and not running, and uh, somebody started texting me every day for three weeks asking me to do it, and then finally I just gave in. So I guess this is a sign that if you text me and bug me enough, you could get me to do really stupid shit. So uh, I don't know. I mean – you know, you not, might not know this about me, but I am, you know, a former Division One collegiate runner. So, uh, you know, I, I, I might be able to handle it here or there, but I haven't ran over six miles since 2016, I'd say. So, uh, you know, it's been a little bit. <laughs> so, wish me luck, and uh, I think I think I'll be all right. But we'll see. I also went golfing today, and I've been drinking since like nine o'clock this morning. So, you know. The strong survive. I'm a fucking dog, so I'll, I'll get through it. And uh, I'm not a fucking puppy, so dogs got to eat. I'll go out and I'll show out. I'll perform, you know? Yeah, do- it's all dogs here. I mean, everyone knows Green Candle's dogs, no pups. St- buddy's still drinking. At least you're drinking, uh, looks like, what is that, a claw? At least you're no, drinking I- the seltzers. It's a Celsius this time. I'm trying to get a- my energy up. Oh, that's an energy Pump drink. Stre- Pump it up for the stream. Pump it up yeah, for the I mean- stream. I got some twisted teas in the fridge. I just finished drinking a beer, so I'm gonna. I, I you know, I've been told that I get a little too drunk on the streams. I don't know, um, you know, allegedly. But uh, so I decided to tone it down a little bit today, get the energy up, and then, uh, you know, I'll get back into drinking in like thirty minutes or so. So, <laughs> well, well that'd, be, that'd be great. I think I think you're really setting yourself up for success on uh, for the half marathon tomorrow. I man, I can't tell you the last time I ran 13 miles. It had to be in college. It had to be when we were at Memphis. I mean, yeah, that was, that's the last time for me. I don't know. I mean, like since college, I, my mindset was I'm going to run to stay in shape and I'm not going to run over four miles. So I yeah. ran six miles two weeks ago and then I ran a turkey trot, which was five miles, maybe like two years ago. And that was basically like the, the longest I've run. So I don't know. We did what, how far were we running when we were there? Maybe three, three and a half, four or something. Oh man, when I was doing, uh, oh, when you were in town, yeah, yeah, no, it was like four miles, not yeah. even, just under four miles. That's about what I do. I mean, I, I really don't think that running a 
the way that we were running in undergrad. I mean, people, I don't think people fully understand what you do as a distance runner. And I don't think they fully understand that like you run cross country, indoor track, outdoor track. So you're going year round our long runs. I mean, I did long runs that were easily 19, 20 miles. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, I think while I was in college, I never got over 16, but I mean, we were like flying when we were doing those, you know, like we yeah. would go out Saturday night, wake up hungover and run those 16 to 19 miles at like six 30 to you were probably doing faster than I was like six minute pace or pretty damn close to it. So, well, the thing um, is too, the thing is too, is we'd go on time. So it'd be yeah. like, all right, you're going for a two hour run and you'd, so you'd go on time. You wouldn't even go by mileage and you'd go out for two hours, two hours, 10 minutes or something. And who knows? Yeah. You're probably going 20, 21 miles, man. We used to do that shit. We'd be throwing up at the first five miles. You'd be throwing up, shaking off a headache. And uh, <laughs> it's rough. And then at the end we feel great. And then yeah. you go home, you sleep for like five hours and then, uh, then, then it's all gone. But I don't know. Yeah. I don't have that 21 year old liver anymore. So we'll see. Yeah. I'd be up like, and at the line at six o'clock tomorrow morning. So yikes! Uh, yikes. Pray for me to get out there. So fuck. yeah, those those were those were simpler times. Let's uh, let's jump in here. What do we got for macro? I'm trying to think, man. I know there's obviously stuff going on over in Russia and Ukraine, and uh, I think that's kind of clouded everybody's minds. Uh, maybe not clouded, but that's kind of been at the forefront for for everything. And uh, I don't know. I think as far as it relates to macro in the U S and the stock market in the U S like we saw a good pump actually Thursday, Friday. Um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to brag too much, but my portfolio was up 6% on the week. Um, and I think it's, I think a lot of it was a little uncertainty about how the U S was going to react to this. And if we ultimately end up involving ourselves physically, if we put troops on the ground, I think, you got to kiss, uh, you kiss these high, these rate hikes goodbye. Um, you know, I, I hate talking about stocks at a time when the world is like potentially plunging into world war three, but, uh, that's what we're here to do. We're here to talk about stocks. So we're going to do it. And yeah, our buddy Masa was, was telling us on Friday that it's basically mathematically impossible for them to keep rates at zero at this point. They have to go up by at least, uh, 25 bips. So maybe we'll get 25 bip rate hike i kind of think that's already been priced in in fact i think they they may be priced in a 50 or 75 point uh hike and now that this has happened maybe we saw that pump because people are saying well now it's for sure only going to be 25 i could still see them going up 25 in march what do you think yeah i mean i definitely think 25 is is on the table um I think that, you know, they're going to raise it a little bit and then probably bring it back down. Uh, that's kind of my guesstimate as well, what's going to happen. You know, Masa, is, uh, he's one of our good friends and uh, he's definitely got a better insight than, than I do in this. So I, I tend to believe his, uh, his opinion on it and everything like that. So, um, you know, exactly like you're saying, it's kind of tough to, to talk about stocks when we're like in an impending war. Um but as far as like the stock market relates is like, you know, it usually reacts one way or the other. Um, generally speaking, when there's a war or something like that, they the stock prices of a lot of things pump because they think there's a lot of liquidity. And, you know, whether you like it or not, there's a lot of money in war and there's a lot of money to be made um, for companies and, and things like that. I mean, you know, if you've seen the movie War Dogs, you kind of, you know, understand that the movie with Jonah Hill and, and uh Shit, I can't even think of the other guy's name. But. Dude, I, I I watched the movie like two or three nights ago. 
Yeah. I mean, it's a good movie, but yeah. I mean, it's like, it's, it's true, right? Like it's like that these guys, like they find a niche and, uh, and they profit significantly off of it. And, uh, that's just kind of how it is. Right. I mean, there's a lot of money that's going to be printed in or needed in order to go to war. Um, you know, every military soldier in the United States has like, I think it's like $20,000 worth of equipment at a very minimum, um, just strapped to them when they're walking around. So, um, it, it's usually like, all right, well, is everything going to shut down or, or end? And then that's the stock market closes or it's like, okay, we're going to war somewhere and the stock market pumps like crazy. So I think the market reacted. It was pretty interesting to me um, because on Monday was it, um, it everything tanked right away. Um, and then it started raising up. And then by the end of the day, everything was green. And then for throughout the rest of the week, everything was like kind of, uh, normally sitting in the green. And, I, and unfortunately, I think that that's kind of be going to be the case because people are going to think, all right, well, you know, exactly like we were saying at the beginning, they're not going to raise it 50 to 75 basis points, but they're essentially going to do 25 basis points now, which is, you know, not quite exactly what, uh, what, what they thought. So um, the 50 to 75 was maybe priced in and now um, everything looks cheap to them. So um yeah, that's just kind of, I, I guess, the overall macro view as far as the stock market goes for me, uh, based on this, you know, shitty Russian sh- sh- situation. Um, so, I mean, definitely prayers up to everybody in the Ukraine. Um, I hope everybody out there is staying safe. And, um, you know, it's just crazy to me. We're, I, we're seeing a war break out here, and uh, it's all on social media. Like, we're seeing, I'm seeing clips. I don't know about you, Dan, but I'm seeing clips all over the internet, Twitter, Instagram, and everything of, all this shit going on it's crazy yeah it's super unfortunate and uh yeah i agree i mean thoughts and prayer i you know we see videos of people in moscow too the russian citizenry and we talked about this with uh on btc sessions last night uh, i believe or maybe it was on our pod i can't remember man now we're doing so we're putting out so much stuff now it's hard to remember when we talked about different things but uh you know there's there's massive protests now in moscow saying we don't want war. Like, man, the vast majority of people in the Ukraine, for sure, and even in Russia, it looks like the city, there's a good portion of the citizenry that just they don't want war, man. Like, we it's it's ridiculous. And so, uh, yeah, thoughts and prayers to everybody involved. And I, you know, I hope to God that that we don't intervene militarily from the U.S. Um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully this this has some peaceful resolution. Uh, it doesn't look likely, but you know, we can, we can always hope for it and see what happens. So yeah. hey, that's what I've got for macro too. I, you know, I'm in the same boat. I mentioned that it seems like this is at the forefront of everyone's minds. I'm in that boat too. It's hard to, it's really hard to pay attention to anything else, to be honest. Uh, while all this other stuff's going on, I've, I haven't really been on Twitter that much over the last few days, uh, just cause we've got so much stuff going on. And I also, you know, I just, it's tough. I, it's really tough, man. You you want to try to get as much information as possible and stay stay plugged in and, and develop a good internal filter for good for like good sources and bad sources. But at the same time, uh, you can get overwhelmed with it. it. It's interesting, Brandon, right? Because when there's stupid shit going on, you you're super plugged in and you're following it really closely. But then when real shit happens, you're like, man, I got to unplug. It's a weird it's a weird thing where like you want to unplug from social media when real shit's going on, but when 
stupid nonsense is going on like hollywood drama or something you're like oh, oh you know i'm gonna eat it eat it, eat it. <laughs> like, exactly uh, but but that's the thing it's like it's stupid nonsense you know we you know it's stupid nonsense and this is like real life shit right like people are dying okay so it's not like you know the kim and kanye stuff where we're like all right kanye's running skeet davidson off of instagram and like everybody's laughing at that and it's funny you know even though those are real people's lives and whatever this is like, all right, well, people are, are, are dying. And, uh, you know, war is, is never, you know, the answer, uh, at least in, in my opinion. And, uh, it seems like it's, uh, it's an, it's really unfortunate, but, um, you know, it seems like we're kind of, uh, in, in that for at least the near future and, uh, hopefully nothing else happens, but it seems like there's also some impending situation with China and Taiwan too. So, um, yeah, that yeah. one, I mean, that one could have some really severe consequences for, uh, like semiconductor chip manufacturing. There's already been major supply chain issues with semiconductor chips, especially in the auto industry. And so if China rolls in on Taiwan, well, of course you've got the, um, TSMC, you've got the Taiwan semiconductor manufacturers there. And, uh, it's a huge source of electronics, uh, microchips. So that could be bad too, man. I, Yeah. I, th- I think people underestimate how quickly things can spiral out of control. And, you know, we, we hope that we don't see it, obviously. Hey, to bring it on a, on a lighter note, because you mentioned, yay, Netflix, Masa's going to hate this if he even listens. I don't know if he does or not. <laughs> well, this will be a test. We won't tell Masa we talked about it, and we'll see if he mentions it. Netflix has got this uh, genius uh, documentary trilogy about Kanye, and they dropped part two last night. It was long. It was like, how long was it? It was like two hours or something. I, I kept thinking it was going to end and it just kept going, it's, which I was happy about. It's kind, It was kind of like the last dance uh, is what I've been comparing it to uh, kind of internally. It's like you think it's going to end and then it just it keeps going and it gets better and better and better. Uh, you've been watching it, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, 100 percent. Like I, I'm loving it. I, I'm a big Kanye guy, so I've always got some sort of Kanye shirt. Uh, that I own. I mean, there's a picture of us from college where I had Kanye, uh, Kanye's face with like gold aviator smoking a cigar. I got like a Yeezy 2020 uh, sweater and like a graduation hoodie and all that kind of stuff. So I'm a big Kanye guy. People know that about me. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm loving it. The thing I I love about it is like, there's a few things. One, it's like his mom, you know, it really goes into the relationship with her. And it's, it's awesome to see how like his mom just supports him like crazy. Like she knows all his raps, like all that stuff. Um, you know, even when he dropped out of college and she's like an English professor and everything like that. Um, and two, just like his, you know, his self-confidence. And uh, that, that's where I think like a lot of people are, are missing out. And a lot of people give him this like negative perception and everything like that. Like you got to give the guy credit. I mean, he makes great music, like, whatever you want to say about his personality or his public persona, like whatever he makes a great product. He's always believed in himself. And like, when you can tell, like he's been the same exact person when he had zero fans to who he is now. And it's just like, he's on a public stage and, you know, it's a lot of pressure. And when, uh, when people are dissecting like your every movement and everything like that, like, you know, sometimes you do some stupid shit. So, I don't know. I love Kanye and I think uh, like his old music and like just seeing the process of him going through some of that stuff. It's just, it's amazing. So I, I really like it and I can't wait for the third episode to come out and Donda too, too. It's uh it's out, but you got to get the uh, SoundCloud link or something 
I'm the plug. So if you want to, uh, <laughs> I don't condone that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't condone that. Buy Kanye's music, support him, value for value. Everyone knows it. I, the one quote that I love, Brandon, from part two, uh, I don't know when they quote when they quoted him from, but they said it was right after he won the Grammy, I think, his first Grammy. And they said, if someone would have told you that uh, you were, or if someone would have told you like 10 years ago that you were going to win a Grammy, would you have believed it? And he said, Actually, I was telling people and they didn't believe it. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that's, that's like a, an awesome quote. Yeah. Um, I also love yeah. that they showed his Grammy speech where, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's pretty famous. And at the end, he's like, they were asking me, what would you do if you didn't win? And then he's like, I guess we'll never know. I guess and he we'll never know. And he walks yeah. out. It's amazing. What a what an absolute dog. What a savage. Fucking um, dogs. Dude, <laughs> I love it. It's been good. I, I seriously do compare it to... Uh, to uh like the last dance it's that good and just to, to see the story of of uh of guys like kanye is it's just amazing so yeah i'm enjoying that waiting for part three i think it drops next week um but yeah all right well, should we jump into uh bit farms here yeah let's jump into it all right i'll kind of go through like a little brief um breakdown of bit farms like explain what it is uh a little bit of the financials and stuff, and then I'll let you get into your uh, bullish thesis about it. Um, so yeah, BitFarms is a blockchain infrastructure company. It operates uh, blockchain computing centers that power uh, the global dis- uh, global decentralized financial economy of Bitcoin and other altcoins, unfortunately. But uh, BitFarms Bitform- provides computing power to Bitcoin, and how it earns money is essentially just earns fees uh, by mining. Um, it's primarily located in Canada, and it uses uh, hydroelectricity. Uh, so recently, BitFarms entered in a $32 million equipment financing agreement with BlockFi, um, and it's also secured 60,000 new, genera- new generation miners. <laughs> oh, shit. Get them, Max. Get them, Max. Dogs are out, baby. Yo, the dogs. <laughs> Well, Brandon's all right. Yeah, so that's uh, so he's freaking out. Uh, but uh, yeah, so then uh, after they and they were one of the first Bitcoin mining companies to go public in July 2019, and so uh, at the time of this recording, Bit Farms was trading at uh, three dollars and twenty nine cents, with a range of two seventy five to nine dollars and thirty six cents, and then a market cap of six hundred and fifteen. Uh, 0.97 million dollars US dollars. Um, they posted 44, almost 45 million dollars in revenue, which was up 22% from the last quarter and uh, almost 560% year over year. Um, so it recorded a, net, a record net income of almost 24 million and uh, increased of 13 cents per share. So, uh, previous quarters they've lost money. And this is one of the first ones that have actually, you know, uh, gained money. So that's obviously a positive going forward. It's also increased its mining margin from 79 to 82%, which basically is just like how efficient are they becoming in mining? And it's good to see that they are, you know, finding a way to become more efficient. All right, Dan, what do you got for me in the bullish thesis? Yeah, I hear you. Uh, this is one of the difficulties of doing these things. We both, Brandon and I, both have dogs, and they're absolute—they're absolute beasts. Uh, my dog 
goes nuts when she sees someone she doesn't like outside. So uh, you're, we're always at risk of getting some barks. But yeah, let's jump into the bullish thesis. So I personally, uh, full disclosure, I am a, an investor in bit farms. I do hold some bit farms. At, I hold an absolute bag, actually. So um, full disclosure there. Uh, so take everything I'm saying with a grain of salt. But the number one thing I like about BitFarms is that they've got a global foot footprint. They're they're distributed across multiple countries. So it seems like the bulk of what they're doing is in Canada. That's where the, the bulk of their uh, their mining operation is. But then they've also got a mining center in Washington State in the U.S. here. And then they've got one in Paraguay. Uh, they also have plans to expand their existing sites in Canada throughout 2022 and add a new site which should be up and fully operational, I believe, or maybe it's just construction will be done uh, on a site in Argentina. And here's why I like this. And we're seeing it play out in real time uh, in a place like Canada. If you're too concentrated in one location, one country, and that country all of a sudden takes a turn, like up until now, Canada has been pretty, uh, they've had a pretty positive attitude towards Bitcoin and the Bitcoin mining industry. But with everything that's happened with these protests, uh, like they went after these Bitcoin wallets pretty hard. And if they start to see Bitcoin as a threat to their traditional financial system, they might turn on the entire industry. And so that's why I love to see BitFarms uh, taking more of a global approach. And I especially like to see them expanding into LATAM, into the LATAM market, because you, of course, we've got uh, El Salvador, who's adopted Bitcoin as legal tender. We also have... Uh, Brazil, who uh, I believe has, um, I believe they've maybe kicked around the idea of doing the same. Uh, but in any, in any case, the a lot of these LATAM countries are bullish on Bitcoin and they're taking a positive stance towards Bitcoin. So I think it's great that they're expanding into those countries. I think it provides them a little bit more geopolitical and regulatory uh, stability. The second reason I'm bullish is that they've got huge things planned for 2022. So I mentioned before that they're going to finish this, the construction on their Argentina facility. Now that Argentina facility, along with their Canadian expansions throughout the year, are going to take them to a projected 394 megawatt capacity by the end of the year. That's a, an increase from 106 megawatt capacity at the end of 2021. So it's a huge, it's almost 4x uh their their power capacity um this is going to be massive for them so i'm looking forward to a huge 2022 they've obviously committed to it uh they also uh went ahead and purchased a thousand bitcoin um at the beginning of the year so these people are they're committed to growth they're and they're committed to having a uh uh a really big 2022 so that makes me bullish in the short term at least through the next 12 months or so uh, and then the third reason I've got here is vertical integration and access to cheap energy. And maybe I'm going to, I'm going to spin this a little bit. So I think 99% of their power comes from hydro, which you had mentioned in describing the company, their big hydro company. Uh, here's what you don't see in their investor presentations. You don't see a bunch of stuff about we're committed to ESG. We're doing all this. Hydro is technically this environmentally friendly thing. They use it because it's cheap energy. That's why they use it. And that's what I love to see. Uh, let me, I've got their, their, uh, present, their last investor's presentation here. Securing low-cost energy 
Uh, in Canada, on average, four cents per kilowatt on average. In the U.S., it's three cents per kilowatt. In Argentina, it's two point two cents per kilowatt, and in Paraguay, it's three point six cents per ke- uh, kilowatt. So, like, they're not using it because they're devoted to some ESG narrative. They're using it because it's they've got access to it, and it's cheap and it's efficient. That's what I like to see. So they've got access to this cheap, efficient uh, energy, and then. They've got vertical integration. So uh, when it comes to vertical integration, like they've got a a long and successful history of creating infrastructure to have successful mining operations. Uh, They also have an electrical contractor contractor that's 100% owned as a subsidiary. So this provides expertise, it lowers site construction costs and can contribute to revenue. And then they're also a uh, authorized repair center. So they can repair their own equipment. They don't have to, if they've got a machine that's broken, they don't have to send it out, wait for it to come back. They're in, they've got an in-house repair lab that they use. So all of this stuff, like I, I love to see this. Uh, I think I was right. I was maybe writing an article about bit fury uh, last week, or I forget exactly when, but they're on, they've, they like do all of their in-house ASIC chip development and things like that. So I love to see it. If these companies can bring things in-house as much as possible, that's what I want to see. Now, BitFarms isn't, as far as I know, is not creating their own ASIC mining chips. I think they're still purchasing from uh, Bitmain, but uh, you know, they're doing these other things. They've got the electrical contractor down. They've got a repair center down. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I want to see. I want to see in-house development. I want to see them working on, you know, immersion cooling techniques in-house, things like that. Uh, so maybe they'll expand into those things, but at the moment they've still got a, a bit of vertical integration. So uh, just a quick quick recap on mine: global footprint. I love to see it. Uh, big things planned for 2022, and it looks like they're following through on those things. And then vertical integration and access to cheap energy through hydro that's why i'm bullish on bit farms awesome that's good stuff so i'm not gonna lie to you it was a little tough for me to come up with some of these um bear arguments i'm not a holder directly of bit farms but i do hold wgmi which we'll go over next week uh it's the etf and this is the second largest holding so that's also something to note as well you know somebody who's uh spent their entire time like developing an etf has enough uh you know I guess uh, enough backing to put this as the second largest holding in that. So also something to kind of be aware of, but as far as my uh, bearish thesis, uh, we kind of discussed the same with HUD eight last week, but it's a little bit different. Um, The computing power dedicated to altcoins. So currently bit farms operates blockchain quote unquote farms uh, that powers various crypto networks such as Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, Litecoin, and Dash. So like I kind of stated last week, and, I, and I've said this a few times, is that I like to see like newer age companies kind of focus on a single aspect, right? So granted, they are focusing on mining in general, but I, you know, I'm a Bitcoin guy, I'm a Bitcoin maxi, whatever you want to call me. I do not think that Ethereum, Litecoin, or Dash would be useful to mine. Um, maybe in the short term, maybe it'll be good, but I would like to see a company like BitFarms or HUD8 or Marathon just kind of strictly focus on mining Bitcoin. Um, so that is one negative I see. 
Another one is uh, in last November, six senior managers started selling off like a significant portion of stock. Um, so generally, you kind of see people, uh, you know, when a company IPOs, they have a lot of initial stock. And you'll see a lot of these senior people or, or something like kind of cash out a bit. Um, but at the same time, you don't see them cash out, you know, a, a long time later unless they kind of have scheduled cash outs or, um, you know, there's something that they might know that's coming up on the horizon. Um, so this is kind of worrisome for me because, you know, six key insiders are selling stock and it almost seems like it's somewhat correlated uh, back in November. So maybe they know something that we don't. Maybe some news is about to come out or will come out or maybe they're not as bullish um, going forward. But it's definitely something to kind of keep your eye on uh, for sure. And then the last negative point, um, you know, you kind of mentioned in there that they're expanding into Argentina and some LATAM. Um, but in the near term, what's going on in Canada kind of worries me as well. Um, we've kind of covered this in our macro minute in the past about the Canadian trucking convoy going on. Um, but, uh, you know, the C Canadian government has started to kind of change its tune, to me at least, on Bitcoin and, and crypto assets. Um, they, uh, were tracking Bitcoiners for encouraging people to donate to these trucking convoys. Um, they were investigating crypto addresses, um, and Bitcoin wallet addresses for people that donated. They were freezing bank accounts and, uh, they were also, you know, uh, notifying authorities about, um, Brian Armstrong, CEO of Coinbase and Jesse Powell, uh, CEO of Kraken, who were tweeting about um, self-custody of their crypto assets. So um, they're not necessarily the most crypto-friendly country um, or Bitcoin-friendly country at this point, um, as of late, honestly. Uh, they seemed a little bit more friendly in the past. Um, so it's good to see that they're expanding. But in the short term, I would definitely keep an eye out for you know, the Canadian government uncertainty there. Um, and it's definitely something to, to look at. Um, so yeah, just to kind of wrap it up, the computing power de uh, dedicated to altcoins, senior managers selling stock, and the Canadian government uncertainty are reasons why I would be bearish on BitFarms. But I also have a question for you. We kind of discussed this a little bit in our pre-show, but I want to get a little bit more of your thought on it. Because I didn't know if I should include this in the bearish thesis or if like maybe it's bullish or what. But BitFarms also purchased a thousand Bitcoin. And I thought that was kind of interesting because, you know, as a miner, you obviously obtain um, Bitcoin. So why would you need to purchase it? Um, but yeah, so what are your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, I mean, as far as the purchase goes, well, let me touch on the Canadian thing first. So the Canadian having a uh, massive concentration of mine of your hash power in Canada, I think is not a good look right now. Um, it seems like the Canadian government liked, liked this kind of thing for the jobs and the money that it would bring in the tax revenue it would bring in. But as soon as they figured out that people could actually use this to circumvent their, uh, how do you put it mildly tyrannical control over the financial institutions? Uh, then maybe they stopped liking it. So, <laughs> so you don't want a huge concentration of your, mining equipment uh located in canada at the moment uh at least that's my opinion 
I'm not in the industry, so I, I can't give you an insider's view of this. But I do I do love to see them moving into LATAM. I mean, their projections, Brandon, uh, in their latest investors presentation is that their Argentina farm will will almost I mean, it will basically double, if not more than double, uh their total megawatt capacity. So and and the energy is cheaper in Argentina than it is in Canada. Uh, so I'm huge. Like, I think their Argentina facility is going to be massive if they can get that thing up and operational and get mining rigs there by the end of 2022. Now, as far as buying Bitcoin, you know, I, I think Joey and Len over the, the Canadian Bitcoiners podcast interviewed someone from, I think it was Ben Gagnon, Gagnon. I can't really pronounce his last name. Uh, G-A-G-N-O-N, I believe. And they asked him the question, but here's the thing, man. If Bitcoin dips relative to what your, let's say your model has it at, you as a as a Bitcoin mining company, you have you have you can either purchase equipment or you can buy Bitcoin, right? And it, we all know that the vast majority of equipment is kind of on a backlog, right? So eighty percent market share is owned by Bitmain at the moment. And Bitmain has a backlog. Like Marathon purchased 77,000 miners or something in December. They won't start getting that shipment until June. So let's say Bitfarms has a model that says Bitcoin is going to be priced at, you know, let's say 60,000 in June when we would start to get the miners in. And then we've got to get the mining rigs set up and we've got to make them operational and we've got to figure out the infrastructure, which Bitfarms is good at doing but it still takes time. So let's say, all right, even if we start getting things in June, they won't be operational until July or August. Well, our model has Bitcoin priced at 60K, twice of what it is now at that point. So why don't we just buy Bitcoin now uh, instead of purchasing the equipment and waiting in this backlog? So, and then there's all this uncertainty in Taiwan too. So, right. Um, and in China. So, there's all these things that you have to consider. So I don't, I don't see this as bearish at all. I'm assuming that they made this, they didn't make this decision lightly. You know, it's not like me waking up and seeing the price and saying, Oh, I'm going <laughs> to make a huge buy. I'm going to whale in today because uh, the price has dipped a little bit. I'm guessing that's not how they operate over there. Um, but yeah, I, I don't see it as a, I don't see it as a bearish argument. You know, if you're not a believer in Bitcoin, you probably see this as a bearish argument because they're allocating funds to Bitcoin in, instead of uh, Bitcoin miners. But you have to understand that there's a huge backlog uh, in these Bitcoin miners at the moment. And it also it also just points to the importance of things like Intel and Block coming out and saying that they're developing their own miners because we definitely need more companies working on producing miners. And as I was saying before about Bitfury, not Bitfarms, Bitfury, uh, them developing their own ASIC mining chips in-house is huge for them. I think it's a huge advantage uh, because they're not reliant on on uh, Bitmain as much. So yeah, I mean, it's they bought a thousand Bitcoin, right? Last month, Bitfarms. Yeah. 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 I mean, like, like you said, I, I think like, all right, it just means they're bullish on the asset, right? So I'm bullish on the asset. I like to see a company bullish on the asset. So 
it's good. I just, I, I just think it's an interesting move. Um, you know, not something that I definitely didn't expect, especially from like a Bitcoin miner. I'd expect more of like a company that didn't really have too much exposure to Bitcoin to do it. But I mean, you know, like you said, if you believe in it and you think that it's extremely cheaply priced, why wouldn't you? So yeah, I, the other thing too, like it's interesting. What I've been thinking about with a lot of these miners. And I, I've been poking around with with uh, a few people that are in our circle that are super bullish on Bitcoin miners, and I'm trying to figure out like what do I look at? Is it Bitcoin on the balance sheet? Is it in-house development or, or vertical integration? Is it access to cheap electricity? Is it global footprint? Like what are the things that you should look at when you're evaluating these Bitcoin mining companies? I think it's all of the things I just listed. Um, but then I'm starting to think to myself, like, can, can you be, so I'll just ask you, Brandon, can you be a Bitcoin bear and still be bullish on a Bitcoin mining company? What do you think? I find it harder to believe, um, to be honest, because, you know, at the same time, um, it's, uh, you know, I mean, like, why, like, if you don't believe in like the underlying business, it's like, all right, if you don't, if you think gold's piece of shit why would you invest in a gold miner right okay. maybe you think the company there is like you know finding something that somebody else isn't but i think like bitcoin's a little bit more volatile there's a lot more bears when it comes to bitcoin opposed to gold i would say and i think that more people are like questioning bitcoin and think it's like basically a load of shit um and uh because of that that's where why all these people are just gonna um yeah, that's why you wouldn't invest in uh, why you wouldn't invest in a Bitcoin miner. Okay, so that, then let, let me follow up. Do you think that people? Do you think that someone who's bearish on commercial space travel could invest if they were able to in SpaceX? Do you think there'd be a reason to invest in SpaceX if you thought that commercial space travel would never? And I'm not saying like go out for fun into space, like a cruise on the ocean. I'm saying like go from LA to New York in 45 minutes or whatever it would take. Do you think someone who says that would never exist? Is there still reason to invest in SpaceX? Well, I think there, I, I don't know. So I, I think the reason somebody would invest in some Bitcoin mining company or a company like it, uh, similar to your SpaceX example would be they're developing something that they're using for Bitcoin mining, right? So you kind of went into like the ASIC chip development. So if it's like a company like Intel and they're developing these chips or something like that, then it makes sense for somebody to invest in a company like Intel who's getting into Bitcoin mining, but they're also, you know, making something else that can be, you know, useful in different industries. So right. I think it, it kind of depends on like the underlying company. And like I said before, it's like, I think that, you know, especially with these early on companies is like, it, it's tough for me to see these companies be diverse in their products and what they offer because like, you know, at the end of the day, like yeah, Amazon, Apple, all these guys, they, they had to focus on something first before they could start taking risk and jumping into everything. It's kind of like the shiny object syndrome, right? You don't want to see a company be like, okay, I'm going to get into Bitcoin mining. All right, Ethereum okay, maybe we'll do something else. Maybe we'll, you know, be a crypto lending program or maybe, you know, we're jumping into all these different things and they're not doing one thing very well. I think I like to see companies like master something uh, first. And I don't think any of these Bitcoin mining companies have really, you know, 
done that very successfully just yet. Um, well, you got to wait. You, you got to wait for Bitfury because like Bitfury, so, uh, they're on their seventh generation of an ASIC mining chip, in-house developed, totally in-house developed. They're working uh, with a with a they've got a strategic partnership where they're developing their own immersion cooling technologies. Immersion cooling has implications for think of anything that gets hot and immersion uh, immersion technology, immersion cooling technology could be applied to it. So like to me, when I'm evaluating these mining companies now, Brandon is I'm looking at in-house development of their own proprietary uh, technologies, especially hardware. So things like immersion cooling, things like uh, you know, microchip development. That's what I'm looking at as a key factor because those are the things I think even a Bitcoin bear could get behind. But that's just, I mean, that's just my opinion. And and at the end of the day, you don't want to, you don't want to turn people off from what you're doing. And I think the smart investors are going to, they're going to gravitate to these people. I say smart. Look, if you're bearish on Bitcoin, you're probably not that smart, but <laughs> you know, like, I, you know, a, a company that can say, yeah, yeah, we're a Bitcoin mining company, but we're developing, you know, AI technologies that are going to be applied, that could be applied to anything. We're developing emerging cooling technologies that could be applied to it, to a number of industries. I think those are the companies uh, in this Bitcoin mining space that are ultimately going to take off faster than just pure Bitcoin miners. Uh, that's just my thesis, not investment advice, but uh, yeah, that's what I've kind of over the last two or three months that I've been thinking about this, that's kind of what I've come to as a conclusion. Yeah, I agree with you. So, all right. Well, I think that's it for me. Do you got anything else? No, man, I'm good. I'm good. All right. Well, let's wrap it here. So I am Brandon and my co-host Dan uh, that you've heard and or seen uh, here. We're both co-founders of the Green Candle Investments. You're listening to us on the Sunday Scary Stock Talk podcast where we'll put it out on YouTube and uh, wherever you get your podcast. We also put it out in a newsletter form. So if you want the written form too, you can check that out at greencandleinvestments.substack.com. And then we'll host a Twitter space to kind of talk about the macro environment Tuesdays night at 8 p.m. Eastern time. We also host the State of Bitcoin podcast where you can find uh, in the same spot. Um, different feed on podcast players, but uh, same kind of deal. And uh, the newsletter that we put out on Friday, also same newsletter. Um, and yeah, then we host the Bitcoin Happy Hour Twitter Spaces Friday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern time um, until we're done. So anything else that I miss? Am I getting a little better with that? I don't know. It's still. I think it's still a little choppy. Twitter, I gotta, Instagram. I drag it out. People love my voice. <laughs> Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Like, subscribe, engage, leave us a review. We love to hear from everybody. So uh, that will do it for this week's we episode. Yeah, we'll do it for this week's episode of Sunday Scary Stock Talk. Everybody wish Brandon good luck on his half marathon tomorrow. I personally will not be wishing him good luck. Uh, I'd like for him to really feel the pain of not training and signing up idiotically uh, for a race that he's not prepared for. So uh, you forgot one thing. I'm a fucking dog. He's a dog. All right, Brandon, oh. have a good weekend, bud. All right, man. Later. <laughs>